Good day, everyone. Tony Gonzalez coming to you with the next Garage Cast, interviewing a good buddy of mine named Brian McLean. He is the owner and founder of McLean Sports in Canada. This guy has been in business since the 80s. He has a ton of sage advice for his 20 club. I always learn something when I'm next to Brian. And this episode, he hits it out of the park with a lot of great nuggets that a young entrepreneur can take. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. We're going to do our best to get new thinking out there. There's going to be discussions centered around growth and new thinking. That's where those great ideas come from, exploring them together. Nuggets that you can go back and put into your dealership that'll help you make more money. This is GarageCast. Cast Sam Dantzler down in Denver, Tony Gonzalez up here in Steamboat Springs, dude. Yeah, um, super excited. <laughs> uh, I've, I've been I've been uh, trying to get this interview for quite some time. The man is elusive. Uh, he's you told, busy. You you he's, were you were telling me all the pearls of wisdom at the last twenty club he was dropping. Uh, he drops serious pearls of wisdom. So I'm I'm going to intro this guy super quick. You guys have heard me say this many times is is every dealer teaches me something that I run into. There are some that teach me by their mistakes. There's some that teach me by their successes. There are some that teach me their zest of life. And then there's some that when you're talking to them, you know that you should just shut your mouth and open your ears and listen because you're listening to somebody that really understands what's going on. And this is one of those guys, Brian McLean. He is owner and still a pretty formative operator of McLean Sports in New Brunswick, Canada. For those Americans and in all of our myopathy, go ahead and pull your map out and try and figure out where in the hell that is. It's way up by Maine. And with that said, I I got to know Brian years ago when I sat down next to him at dinner at Vancouver. and. you know, I'm sitting down to this guy next to this guy, and I'm thinking, All right, I wonder, I wonder what this dude's going to have to say. You know, I I can't really read uh, the, the the book by its cover. And then he just started throwing out some some sage advice on life and asking me questions that I was like, holy crap, I've never been asked that before, right? And so, and and I just realized I was in the presence of greatness. Brian McLean, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Pleasure to be here. I don't think he's ever said that about me. He hasn't said that intro about me, Brian. Not one time. <laughs> ever. <laughs> for, for, for sure. I say that at all the group dinners. Man, that Sam Dantzler in this. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's some expletives uh, before that. But yeah. Everything going good in your summer, Brian? Yeah. No, it's going great. We, uh, we're we heavily engaged right now in moving to a, a new property. And uh, so we, we bought the uh, property, closed on it in June, and we're looking at maybe a move-in possibly October, November. So we've been heavily involved with, uh, you know, getting the move organized, getting the renovations we need to complete, getting a store design done and so forth. So time-consuming, but uh, lots of fun. So, okay, and it, all joking aside, Brian, for, for those of us south of the border that are listening, please, please let the listeners know exactly where you're located. Okay, we're we're about uh, we're in New Brunswick, uh, small province, uh, Atlantic coast of Canada, population about eight hundred thousand in the complete province. So we're in Fredericton, uh, capital city. It's about sixty thousand people. 
located about three hours from Bangor, just south of Quebec, just north of Nova Scotia. So we're in uh, the, the population of the town. I mean, it's about 60,000 and it's it's we're sort of the major center in the area. We're not outside of a metro area, you know, so there's, uh, you know, we, we, we have issues with an aging population. We've got issues with not a great deal of population, but on the positive side, we've, we've got a, a sort of a semi-rural and rural uh, customer base, and there's a high usage of our products, maybe more so than an urban area. So there is positive and negative from where we are. Okay. So do you consider yourself a newfie? A newfie? No, no, newfie. <laughs> to, to to be a newfie, you've got you've got to move to Newfoundland, which is which is farther east than us. Okay, the, we're, we're, hey, a, we're a maritimer. Yeah. So, so Sam, I want you to understand how he aggressively was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Do not call me that." All the all the other province call 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 those uh, the the newfies out there, and yeah, you most certainly don't want to be those. And if I have offended any newfies out there, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> You so, see why we don't like him, Brian. You see why it's so I asked the tough questions, here. damn it. I, asked, I You pitched the softballs down the middle, dude. I asked the tough questions. Anyway, so continue on. You want to see if you, you can recruit a newfie into the into our 20 group because uh, they're the greatest people on earth. They eh? that uh, you, you haven't you haven't uh, really had a lot of fun. So you started partying with the newfies. So <laughs> that's <laughs> how awesome. I feel about everybody in Canada. It's, it's, it's same. Very, motto. very true. Hey, so. hey, I didn't hear. Real quick, tell me what brands you carry, Brian. Well, we uh, we're a Yamaha dealer, uh, Suzuki, Articat. We sell uh, Starcraft, uh, Yamaha outboards. We're selling e-bikes. Uh, we sell Hallmark enclosed trailers. So we're we're pretty well diversified uh, for product groups. Yeah, you said rural and urban with your customer base, so that that, that explains it a little bit. Look, everything we try to do is, well, a lot of what we try to do is just stay in front of the industry and see where it's going. And you've been at this for a long time now. So I'm kind of curious how you got your start and really what's different today from when you started. Okay. So we, I started as a 20 year old, dropped out of university at a second year university. I was majoring in economics and uh, had an opportunity to become a Suzuki dealer. So, uh, anyway, so I signed up and, uh, as a Suzuki dealer and uh, really had uh, uh, no operating cash. Uh, my total assets was a $1,600 motorcycle. Got my dad to sign a bank loan for me for about 1500 bucks, And uh, we had a $20,000 line of credit with Borg Warner acceptance. And off we went. And uh, so, what a struggle operating with no cash. Uh, so through, uh, you know, it's certainly a, the first year at one man show, you're operating parts, you're the technician, you're the salesman. Uh, there's just not enough hours in the, in the day. You know, your, my, my previous business experiences, I had four years on a paper route. <laughs> so I wasn't exactly uh, gifted with a lot of business acumen uh, and, uh, you know, struggled uh, with this business and slowly grew it through, uh, you know, up into 1980 or so, we we hit the recession in 81, and it just kicked the feet up underneath me. By that time, we went back to a single line motorcycle dealer and started from scratch again with, you know, lost any capital. We had one man operation again, and slowly grew it back. So uh, tenacious, if nothing else. But, uh, you know, we, we gradually learned as we moved forward, you know, what to do and what not to do and the importance mm -hmm. of uh, having reasonable capital to work with and so forth. 
Well, I bet you learned that from the paper route. Let, let's not downplay that <laughs> whole entrepreneurial spirit you had back then. <laughs> well, the earnings were a little bit thin back then, really, with the paper route business, but... <laughs> Same concept though, right? It's your money, your route. You can make as much as you want to make or as little as you want to make or just got to get out of bed and go to work. <laughs> so, so Brian, I mean, all joking aside, everything that you have put together and learned to this moment right now is self-taught or mentor taught. I mean, we're not talking any formal education. You said you dropped out and you have just been, you've learned everything through hard knocks in the realm of entrepreneurship. And not quite true. That uh, So when I okay. hit the recession in 81 and took the feet off underneath me, I came to the conclusion that uh, just no money in the power sports business is that I, I should go back to school, finish my degree. And I was I was going to finish off my undergraduate degree and maybe uh, go and take a law degree. So I went back to uh, took business, learned accounting, marketing, and so on and so forth. And uh, I was operating the business as a great summer job. And uh, as I came back and started to apply some of the things I learned, the business started to prosper. There's no end to to what you can learn or where you can learn it. Uh, and uh, you certainly don't want to learn things the hard way. And a lot of what I learned, unfortunately, was the school of hard knocks. So that's a very expensive way to learn. Man, is well, it? Well, if I go back to your statement there, you, you got your dad to co-sign. You guys took out a very small line of credit, started with one brand, and you were the chief everything officer, right? From salesperson to parse and all that kind of stuff. And do you think that can be done today? Or is the landscape today such that you got to come in with a heavy hit or a big paycheck and a, and a huge backing? Well, you know, back in 1975, I think that the uh, the qualifications to be a dealer for most of the OEMs was you had to have a heartbeat. <laughs> and uh, today it's significantly greater. I, I think that uh, the OEMs are much more selective who they take. And there, there's a greater difficulty now arranging financing, especially your floor planning, where they, they would uh, give you a floor plan line back in the day uh, very easily, where today they're looking very, very hard at you before they provide one of those. So the barriers to entry to the power sports industry are much, much greater today than what they were back then. 1975, that's the days we were receiving uh, handwritten parts invoices. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there were no computers. There was, there was no electronic bookkeeping systems, dealer management systems, none of that at all. Everything was by paper and, and, and uh, you know, very, very difficult and time consuming to operate. We we hear from your generation a lot. The, the same story in North America is that I, I was doing this and I liked uh, motorcycles and I either got a loan or had some cash and I opened up this little rinky dink store and boom, next thing you know, you guys have just evolved throughout time. And, and the, the journey that you took is going to be significantly less and, and way different than the journey that your daughter Jen is taking right now. So that, that's fantastic. But you know, there's something that I heard you talk about in your recent 20 Club, Brian, that I really want you to explain to the, to all of our listeners. And that is that you recently gave a, a really great presentation on taxes, or let's just call it your philosophy on taxes. Can you walk the listeners through this? Because th this was one of those moments when you started talking and I was like, okay, I better start taking some notes here because this is going to be great. So talk to us. Okay. So my, my, my philosophy on taxes may be a little bit different than most that, that, um, uh, you're not a power sports dealer. You're a businessman. And uh, as you grow your business and the business become becomes greater capitalized, uh, you've, you've probably got a property and that should be in a holding company and there's a second business and things start to grow around you and, and your net worth grows. And 
if you're operating your business properly, your earnings are going to grow and your, your margins are going to grow and, and your tax problems in terms of paying them are going to grow significantly. And there's always that uh, talk from people how the rich don't pay taxes. And that's just simply not true. But what the rich people do is they will pay for professional advice to manage their tax load. And uh, power sports dealers are certainly in a position to do that and, and want to look at that very carefully. So when you produce income in your business and, and uh, your, your business has paid corporate taxes on that income, you, you can roll that money back into retained earnings. Uh, you can draw some of those retained earnings back as a dividend. At some point in time, those as the value of that business grows, it's got to flow back into your personal world that at some point in time, you'll sell that business. If if you pass away, your business, there's be a deemed disposition of the value of your assets, which will go into your estate and it will become taxable. So in terms of managing your tax load, what I'm talking about is uh, in terms of not paying or, or not wanting to pay corporate taxes. Uh, uh, look, if you've got tax deductions, writing off inventory and so forth, that's fine. The trick would be to eliminate as many of those as you can by managing your balance sheet. You don't want to write off inventory. If you've made a big income and you've got $300,000 write-off of inventory, that's not a win. The only good tax write-off is when you write a check to yourself. So basically, all of that money at some point in time, you know, if you're going to buy your kid sneakers, it's got to be with personal dollars you've paid personal income tax on. And, and that is the problem is your, is your personal income tax rates. And, uh, you know, we're in a high tax area. Uh, my personal rate would be 53.3% on anything over $221,000 a year. Good God. 53.3%. Oh. <laughs> and, and you know what? Uh, I mean, everybody in North America, you know, will be joining that club at some point in time because the, the trend is towards – you know, higher services to people and, and, and higher tax levels. So my thought process would be this, is that, you know, you want to move your corporate income and retained earnings into your personal world on an orderly basis. And uh, when, when you take dividends and bring them into your personal world as a dividend, there's a dividend tax credit on that. So that corporate tax you're paying is very much a wash. So really what you've got to do is get to your accountant and get some some good, professional, competent tax advice on, on how to manage your tax load. And the trick, of course, is going to, to, to bring that corporate income into your personal world on a, a very orderly, uh, sustained amount over time and, and not bring low levels that uh, for 10 years and all of a sudden at the end of the day, uh, you bring in massive amounts and paying that high tax load on it. So, I mean, the, the, the big issue here is there are mechanisms that a competent accountant can, can help you out with in terms of a plan in place to reduce your taxes. And when you look at the amount of income that you will produce throughout your career as a businessman, if you can reduce your tax load, uh, your personal tax load, 2 or 3% even, it's a significant amount of money. So we've used one with, and I don't want to talk about it a great deal because the tax rules are different anywhere you go. And once again, that's why it's so important that you have a, a strong relationship with your accountant. And, and 
discuss with them just how competent he is to provide tax advice because the tax code in both U.S. and Canada is just a mess. It's it's so complex that a lot of accountants have basically given up on you know uh, keeping track of tax. And usually each firm would have a tax expert or two in it, and that's who you want to deal with. So looking at uh, you know running uh, over a period of time and bringing that that cash into your world, uh, you know you can save some significant amount of cash. If you plan it, that's that's a, the takeaway from that, I guess. So, long term strategy on the cash. Wow, fifty plus percent, man. That's uh, that hurts. Uh, that's like twenty bucks for Tony. The, what we pay him these days. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, hey, hey, Brian. As you know, our composite. We've always said our composite is designed to start a conversation. It is not designed to answer every question. There are a lot of things that could be on there. A lot of metrics that would answer every question, but it's designed to have a conversation. So, a lot of our dealers go you know, level two, level three down in the data analysis. And you are certainly one of those dealers. So tell us a little bit about the key metrics you're watching that you would tell other dealers to keep an eye on that may not be in our composite. I guess, you know, we got to back up just a little bit that that um, it's important to stress the importance of accounting in a business. It doesn't matter what what business it is. You know, if if you feel that, you know, accounting is just a nuisance and you're, you don't reason you'll do it is because, uh, you know, Big Brother, uh, you know, is going to come and grab you by the scruff of the neck if you don't. You know, you've got to do it anyways, and and you need to have accurate and timely accounting, and uh, it will make you a lot of money because that's your roadmap to where you're going. And you need to have accurate numbers. You need to have them input on a timely basis so you can get that information very quickly at the end of each month. So th- that's that's the starting point. But looking at numbers, uh, you know what? I, I don't think there's any secret in terms of what numbers you're looking at. But the important is that you look at them. You know, you've got to have some sort of a month closing process as a businessman that uh, you want to give your accounting people a date that they have to have their month closed by that date. At that point in time, you're going to review the numbers. And, you know, I, I will look at margins. You know, all my different product groups. I'm going to look at my expenses. I'm going to look for any anomalies looking at this month versus maybe the month from the previous year or compared to budget. I'm going to look at uh, my unit sales and I'm going to put them on a report and dump it into, into Excel. And I'm going to be looking for any low margin sales and we'll take a look at it to see why, why that happened. Looking really hard at my F&I uh, that that's so important now, uh, and, and it's just like having a, 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 a printing press for cash. You know, <laughs> F and I is so important that you've got to push your your staff to produce F and I. So we actually look at that, and, and we're cradle to grave. I've got four salesmen at the time; they all do F and I, uh, and we compare each individual's F and I every month, and, and we're looking at the totals dollars they produce. We're looking at, uh, we, we measure it by unit. We also measure it by uh, dollar value. So we'll look at the gross total sales they do, subtract wholesale off of it. And we'll we'll look at the ratio between F&I versus that amount, which may give you a different number than per unit. We also look at the number of units they sell. So for example, if they're selling uh, life and disability, or they're selling uh, extended warranty. How many units of of uh, F and I product are they selling for the units they sell? What's the ratio? And uh, you know what? That we often find uh, a salesman who is doing very very well, but 
you know, he's he's not trying to sell those units. And we're in a position with four people write F and I that uh, we can lever them pretty easily by, hey, if you don't want to write F and I, we understand you can sell just the front end and we'll have somebody else do the F and I, which will effectively almost cut their salary in half. So we have that discussion. We've seen uh, time and time again where we've got a, a, a salesman who's doing maybe six or eight pieces a month, uh, you know, of F and I, and we have that discussion with them. And all of a sudden, next you know, they're doing twenty pieces a month. So I, I think that uh, very, very important to, to look at expenses. One metric that I look at very, very hard is is my departmental payroll compared to the departmental gross revenue coming in. And uh, I'll look at that, and and it's very very important because you don't want it too high, you don't want it too low. I I don't. It's a killer being understaffed in the department, and I that's one thing I notice in our in our group when we're looking at their numbers is that sometimes they've got a parse department with two guys in it, and you know both they're they're averaging like seventy thousand dollars worth of parts a month, and that just chokes off their growth. I mean they they can't do that kind of uh, volume with just two people and expect to have all the maintenance done. So, you know, maybe they save a dollar in their income statement and they write it off on their balance sheet because they've got all this obsolete inventory that wasn't sent back. <laughs> which which goes back to C answer number two of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, Brian, you know, uh, your daughter, Jen, is currently, I alluded to her before uh, in uh, like the first question, but Jen is currently in the long process of completely taken over the dealership from you. What does a young entrepreneur need to focus on most? And and I know I've, I've seen you and how you're coaching Jen, but for a lot of those uh, 20 or 30 somethings that are taking over the business from their family, what, what do they need to focus on most? Yeah. Well, listen, first, I, I, I've got to get you to, to maybe talk to Jen a little bit because we've got some discussions going about whether I get an office in this new building or not. <laughs> yeah, she she is. She said she's she's controlling her expenses by getting rid of that uh, 400 square feet of the building. <laughs> you know, I, I guess uh, a lot of, you know, over time, a lot of the mistakes that can be made, I, I've made them. You know, I think that one place that I might be a champion is how much money I've left on the table over the years. And, uh, you know, I, I talked to Jen in terms of, look, hey, I've already made these mistakes. I've already paid for them. You don't have to. So, you know, where what's important? There, there's so many things, you know, uh, these power sports businesses are so complex. And, and you know, can you name a business uh, that is any more complex than a power sports dealership with seasonality and, and, and warranty and, and, and multiple brands and multiple lines and the staffing issues we face? They, they're very, very complex. And one thing I've noticed is that the complexity actually really increases as the dealership gets smaller. When you know you start to become the generalist rather than the specialist, that you've got a dealer with with seven staff, like he's got to, he's got to understand accounting because he's got he can't afford to have an accountant. It gets so complex. So I mean, what do they have to learn? I guess you know one of the big things is is time management. Business is all about people. You know, you're dealing with staff. You're dealing with your your customers, you're dealing with your suppliers, uh, so you have to learn people skills. Um, you, you know, you got to learn to be a leader. You've you've got to learn to delegate. You know, and and I, I really think a big thing is that you've got to learn as much as you can, as fast as you can. You got to become a student of the game. 
that's the guys that are really dangerous, the ones that really are always looking. And you never learn everything, you know. I mean, a, a lot of dealers will go to, you know, young dealers go to these shows and they're handing out awards and they look at these different dealers. And I, I recall as a young dealer going in there and say, wow, does this guy ever have it all together? But then you get to know them and hey, these guys don't make any money or they're they're all screwed up anyways, you know. <laughs> and at the end of the day, when it comes right down to it, with the complexity and all the moving parts in these dealerships, look, we're all screwed up. I mean, you know, with power sports dealers, it's, it's just a nest of chaos. You know, you don't know how many machines you're going to sell in a day. You don't know who is, is going to be missing in terms of staffing and so forth. But it's learning to roll with those punches and, 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 and plan ahead to try to eliminate problems. That's the important thing to really grow your business. So. I hear you saying get in front of it. And I wrote down time management here because uh, in the, I, I'm intimately involved in the management training academies that we offer. And in, invariably that is the stumbling block for almost everybody there. They know they should be watching the traffic log. They know they should be calling their customers back. They know all the pieces that they should be doing and they're not. And the answer is because they, they haven't gotten their arms wrapped around the time management piece. So um, I think that piece is spot on. I'm kind of curious as you transfer this business over, is there a, is there a magic bullet? Is there a secret between transferring to a son or a daughter? You know, the, the tax burden that you mentioned earlier is there something in the contract that makes a whole lot of sense as you transfer the business over, be it a rainy day clause or a management buyout, or, or what does that look like? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's probably a little bit easier maybe with uh, when you're dealing with a son or daughter, but you know, I, I think it's very important that you always operate your business with a view towards you're going to sell the business two or three years out, and you know things like obsolete inventory. That's it's an issue today. Uh, growing your business, it's an issue today. You know, g- growing your bottom line, you, you know, all of these issues that, you know, if you're saying, hey, look, three years now I'm cashing out, I've only got three years to do this. It it makes it timely that, you know, any issues you have to deal with them, let's start dealing with them now, not down the road sometime. So that's that's very important. You know, once again, you, you know, if, if you're going to do a transfer, you know, of the business, you need professional advice. You need a good lawyer. You need a good accountant. And, you know, you've got to plan something like this. You can't you, you can't decide, hey, next week I'm going to go through and start this or uh, there's going to be problems. One other thing I think that's really important, especially, you know, if you're if you're doing within the family, is that, you know, you've got to run your business and, and you've got to have a focus on profitability because uh, a dealer that's not profitable, he's no good to anyone. He's no good to himself. He's no good to his family. He's no good to his customers. He's no good with staff. He's no good with suppliers. You know, that's one of the laws of business. It's a tough old jungle out there and you've got to be profitable. So, so you know, looking at, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, making that switch, if you've run your business and you, you're, you're finishing off your career on that basis, you know, you probably have been profitable enough that you're not too worried about nickels and dimes, about costs of transfer and so forth, because there's enough there already that, you know, it's it's not a question of fighting over nickels and dimes anymore. It's a it's a question that okay, any question of, of cost for retirement that that's looked after, that's done. So it it gets to be easy. So then, you know, is there any set way to do this? Absolutely not. I mean, at the end of the day, it depends on the circumstances of of the business, the size of the business, and once again, you've got to go back for professional advice and and find your 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 best option to do that. On the heels of the profitability piece, right? And and I hear what you're saying. I'm wondering if there's a parachute that goes into the clause somewhere, uh, you know, a ripcord to be like, oh, man, this is not going the way I want it. Maybe all of a sudden the profitability is not there. And I'm certainly not implying Jen in this moment. But for our listeners out there, 
Is there a rainy day clause that, hey, man, if this if these metrics aren't kept, we pull the plug and this thing is null and void and we go back to the way it was. But are, are there some of those pieces that you have put in the contract? Well, it, really, what with the trance of this business, we, we made it a bit simpler that that we flipped my existing businesses into a family trust. Uh, the, the family trust is controlled by two trustees. And at that point in time, all the income of these businesses can be dividended out from this family trust on a discretionary basis. So that allows me to spread income of these businesses to anybody who's a beneficiary of the trust, which would be any of the members of my family, including my my grandchildren and so forth. So there, there's some significant tax savings for me personally in that basis. And I'm in a situation now that really I can't draw an income from the business whatsoever. But I'm in a position now that to, to fund this trust, they would have taken back some preferred shares that, that I have to redeem. And basically, that's where my income would come from as I, as I re- bring these preferred shares. They're still voting shares. So, so to some degree, I've cashed out the business she operates, but I still do have control of it. Sounds to me like you should get the office then. <laughs> uh, you know, another thing that that hit me is is again one of those great nuggets is you know there's a saying that goes back into the twenty clubs that the worst thing you can do to your community is go out of business. I like how you expanded that, Brian, and said you're no good to anybody if you're running your business poorly. You're no good to yourself. You're no good to your family. You're no good to the community. You're no good to the manufacturer. So. There's a lot of people that are listening to this that that really need to understand what he just said right there, which is if you're limping and struggling along and barely making any money, man, you're no good to anybody out there. And and not that you're not a good human being or operator, but the, the point that he's making is you got to be profitable and you have to be good at business to be effective to all those realms, your family, the manufacturer, so on and so forth. So that's Tony on, on that note. And I love yeah. that. And I also wrote down always operate as if you're going to sell the business in three to four years. Yeah. Brian, I, I love that note. That's a great way to look at it. Brian being in business for so long, how have you weathered? I mean, the multiple, the myriad of storms that have been thrown at you in your face. And at this point, you have damn near seen it all with COVID uh, that was probably one of the last things that as an owner of a business you needed to face was a, a pandemic, right? So you've damn near seen it all. How have you stayed in business for so long? Uh, you know, it, it, the difficulty with a business is establishing it. And once you establish the business and learn the game rules and get some working capital in place, you're not going anywhere. I mean, you can weather the storm easily and and, you know, you look at all these, uh, like a recession or so forth, There's it creates opportunities also. Um, we've been through the recession in 81, like I spoke before, really hurt us. And there was a recession in 91. That was the first time we really started to make some money. We just found some opportunities and, and, and took them. Eh? So, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the, the biggest issue for a business career is losing your focus as as a businessman you know you've got a you know a a business you got to keep your foot in the gas all the time and when you're you know how do you do that that's tough it's tough to do that it's tough to retain your focus you know you've gone to business hey i want to make some money well you know what if you're a businessman and you learn to do your job and you do your job properly it doesn't take very long to make a whole lot of money Mm. then what do you do you know, uh, hey, I've done that, been there, done that. You know, so how do you retain your focus? That is really the issue. 
you know, and, you know, for some dealers, maybe it's a question that they hit a certain point and maybe it's time to, to not be a, a, a good GM, but maybe time to be a good owner and hire a GM. You know, you don't have to be the general manager of the store if you don't want to. If you're the owner, you can be whoever you want. You can go back and turn a wrench if you want and hire a general manager. You know, spend a, a couple of days a month being the being the owner. I like that. Tony alluded to COVID. I think the phrase easy is probably not the right word, but it's been certainly easier in the retail space alone than it's been in years past. So as you roll out of this, as we look towards 2023, uh, and quite frankly, just the end of 2022, where, where's your head on this? What do you think's coming? What does it look like in 2023 for the average power sport dealer? Well, you know, I, I think that, uh, you, you know, once again, it goes back to planning, you know, what's, what's coming down the road at us. And, and there's a lot of uncertainty there right now. Uh, interest rates are rising. Uh, consumer confidence is probably the, my biggest concern. It's really taken a nosedive, uh, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, storm clouds on the horizon. The media is preaching doom and gloom. I don't really necessarily see that myself. I, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're in a position right now that uh, there is still no new inventory available to speak of or, or, or very little. And it's supposed to be coming back. I really haven't seen that that yet personally. Uh, you know, I know in June, you know, we lost uh, almost a half a million dollars in sales from lack of, of new inventory. But we made a lot of that up in used product. You know, COVID's been great for us. I mean, our profitability has never been better. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to run your business. It's all about leaving money on the table. But, you know, because... If new unit sales are easy, don't just focus on new unit sales. You know, you still have to look at your service business, your parts service, your F&I, your used business, and so on and so forth. The guys that do that, they'll not have any problems down the road. You know, as things stand right now, we're coming out of COVID with very low inventory levels. I mean, most dealers, their balance sheets are the best they've ever been. So, you, you know, are, are there going to be issues? Yeah. You know, our sales probably... Uh, you know, overall, will probably decrease. Uh, probably our margins will definitely decrease as there's more inventory and so forth. But you know, there's 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 good news on the horizon too. Uh, you know, in terms of you know some opportunities out there. Uh, you know, you'll, the the weak will some of those guys will be gone. The strong uh, dealers will will stay strong. I I don't think it's the end of a world situation at all. Our, our interest rates have gone up, but. What have they gone up from? Historically low levels. I mean, when I started in business, uh, you know, I think the the Bank of Canada prime was about eight percent. Uh, you know, people are it's at two and a half or so there now, and people are really whining about it. You know, like it's hey, two and a half, it's still pretty low, and it's going to go up some more. But uh, mm -hmm. it, you know, I don't think it's a doom and gloom situation, and and mm -hmm. certainly nothing in the short term to be super concerned about it. Maybe the spring of of uh, twenty three, things may start to change a little bit. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm cautious, but I'm optimistic yeah. for the future. Well, I think it goes back to the planning comment you made before, and I always call it get in front of it, right? Get in front of it. Yeah. Uncle Ed used to tell us that uh, when times are good, the sale of alcohol and motorcycles goes up. And when times are bad, the sale of alcohol and motorcycles go up. So <laughs> we were all optimistic on that one. <laughs> hey, hey, Brian, if you could look into your crystal ball for me. You know, you have a lot to talk about uh, as far as the past goes. What's the biggest issue that you see facing dealers in the future? 
I, I think the the biggest issue is going to be staffing. Um, okay. And and we've we've always been in a position in Atlantic Canada that was high unemployment here, and we, you know, we're operating the candy store. You know that, you know, a lot of young guys maybe without a whole lot of skills, and you know we can bring them in and train them. And hey, we're just a great place to 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 work if you're a motorcycle enthusiast or a snowmobile enthusiast. And but uh, you know we're with COVID, we've seen a, a, a tremendous shift in the amount of people available from work. We've lost a lot of. Uh, you know, senior employees and younger employees coming in, it takes two of them to replace the senior guys, you know, so, it, you know, there's a whole different outlook from these new people coming through. I, I have to laugh that, uh, you know, back when Jen was starting a couple of years ago, we had a big snowstorm and I got this call about uh, 7.30 in the morning from Jen. She wanted to, she was getting calls from some of the young staff and wanted to know if we we're going to shut the store down. And I said, you know, Jen, I said, you know, we're a snowmobile dealer. We don't shut down for a, for a snowstorm. Well, I said, well, some of these people may have a hard time getting to work. So I said, well, you know, if they can make it to work, great, come. And if they can't, you know, to stay home. So at, at opening, everybody who worked at the store over 40 was at work. And uh, anybody below 40 didn't show up for work. <laughs> That's awesome. I love you that. You need an employee snowmobile purchase plan to get them to work next time. <laughs> I think that the second big issue is is managing growing customer expectations. You know, back in 1975, if if somebody's motorcycle, the engine blew up the day after warranty, we just sat down and had a big cry. And that it was what it was. And, you know, uh, we didn't see much pushback from customers with expectations that, hey, they knew the warranty was off and that was it. But, you know, where expectations were on the planet Earth, they just passed Saturn there last week and they're, they're going the speed of light. You know, it's just crazy what customers are expecting now. So there certainly has to be significant efforts from every dealer to manage customer expectations. So looking at putting some effort into a handover where we actually explain to the customer that, yes, that first service they've got to pay for. And this is what the warranty covers and this is what the warranty doesn't cover. And making sure that, you know, simple things like a bill of sale that's got a, a place on it to put what the warranty is, is in the terms of the warranty. It's written on there. It's in black and white and making that customer sign that bill of sale and make him sign off if he, if he doesn't buy extended warranty, for example. All these issues will save you a lot of headaches down the road. So you've got to put some time in managing those customer expectations moving forward because they are out of control. Those are good ones. I love that. Brian, this has been a great chat. I've got one more question here for you, which is um, what, would, what would the current you say to the 25-year-old you? If anything, maybe it's just to keep doing exactly what you're doing. I don't know. But what would you say to your 25-year-old self? I, I think I'd say join a 20 club is what I think. <laughs> you know, boy. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, I look in our group and I see some of these young young guys coming along, young guys and girls say that, uh, and we're seeing a, another generation coming along with some of the old guard is, you know, looking towards retirement and, and people stepping in. And I'm thinking, wow, these guys stick here and, and, and learn this business. Are they going to be deadly by the time they get 20 years into their career? You know, they're going to do really, really well. Um, you know, when I was 25 years old, I was, you know, I was about five years into my uh, into my business and still learning everything the hard way. <laughs> and that's so expensive. I mean, you know, you want to soak up knowledge and, and there's so many places you can get that from. Eh? And there's people on your side, your banker. Hey, he's not the enemy. Talk to him. 
I mean, the, the guy's mixing with business people all the time. And, you know, I, anytime I, I finally get the thumbscrews on my accountant to find a good tax deduction, I mention it to my banker, he'll come back and say, oh, no, I knew about that. <laughs> you know, I mean, looking at, uh, you know, having an engaged uh, a lawyer that 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 has got your interests in mind. Uh, we use, uh, you know, a friend of mine who's really almost semi-retired. He's only got a few clients, but he's he's thinks so much of Jen. That he really goes out of has been a time or two he's come over just to talk to her about different issues and so forth. Eh, finding those mentors, uh, you know, finding an engaged accountant, somebody who wants to do business with you, will take some time for you. Those guys are out there. You got to look for them. Great advice. Yeah, you know, and and that's it's 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 awesome to watch. You know, like you said, you know, you you weren't in a peer advisory group when you were twenty five, and you're you're in one now, and. We're super lucky that you grace us with your presence uh, most of the time at those 20 club meetings, even though, you know, I always look at guys like you and compare them to the 28 year old owner out there. And, and sometimes not always, but sometimes you, you, you can you can get a sense of a young entrepreneur saying, you know what, I, I didn't make the meeting, the spring meeting, because I, I had something big going on at my store. And then I look at some of the old guard like you that has been doing this for 40 plus years that make every single meeting that you can go to. And what you're looking for is maybe just one thing that somebody can show you in two days, one little tiny nugget that you'll write down and you'll take back to the store. But what's great about having wisdom in a room is you got you got a captive audience when you speak and people when when you email the group or when you talk to them at dinner man, they're listening and you are really, truly, like you said, you're cutting the expensive curve of, if you listen to me, I'll probably save you $50,000 just by this dinner right here by sitting next to me. And that's what I love is that you're committed to still coming, even though you don't have to any longer. I know you got Jen in there so that she can scrum it up, but, and you're still giving great advice and mentoring the young kids that are coming up in this industry. So I take my hat off to you for that. I really respect that. You know, you know, I I think that it's important for some of the older guard to do some bit of missionary work for the younger dealers. You know, you you don't want to see them to struggle the way you that you had to struggle and so forth. But you know, I don't know if that's necessarily quite true. That when you go into these these groups, nobody knows everything, and everybody mm-hmm. is learning from everybody. And you know, we see some of the younger groups that yeah, they they may have a few issues with the way they run their business, but maybe they're coming back with ideas off uh, digital marketing or everybody brings something to the group and for, for somebody to say, Hey, I'm all screwed up. I, you know, I don't want to go in there and uh, you, know, I, I, you know, all these guys know everything and I know nothing. Uh, it'd be embarrassing to go there and show my financials, you know, Hey, we're all screwed up. You know, I mean, some of us less screwed up than others, but the good news is that you can be pretty screwed up and still make a hell of a lot of money at the, in the power sports business. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Hey, Brian, listen, I really appreciate you taking the time out um, to record this podcast uh, and, and give us a little bit of your sage advice. So for Brian McLean and Sam Dancel, I'm Tony Gonzalez. This has been GarageCast. I hope you guys have a fantastic Tuesday. Thanks, everyone.